But let's open in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. And Lord, we do give thanks um, for a man who 500 years ago stood up for your word. And Lord, um, we thank you that we have the opportunity to come together now to study your word, to hear, to understand your word, to encounter you, to be men who are slaves to Christ. Lord, may your spirit accompany this word we look at today, Lord. May your presence be here. And Father, may you guide us that we will know you today as we leave from here, not just in our head, but in our heart, Lord. Understand, encounter, know the living God who created us, who saved us. And be with us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Um, Tom, you don't have one of these yet, I don't think. Thank you. All right. Um, So last week, um, and sort of pick up a little bit of what we did last week, I want to do a quick review But I want to start out um, by turning where we turned last week, which um, if you have your books like this, I want you to turn to Isaiah 6. And no, we're not in Isaiah 6 already. (laughs) We will get there, though. Um, But anybody remember why we turned to that last week? His calling. His calling, that's right. This is actually the calling of Isaiah. Um, and what was important about what we're going to read? Anybody remember about this passage? Why? What's so key about this passage? You remember that from last week? It sums up the whole book. It sums up what? It sums up the whole book. It sure does. Okay. Yes, <laughs> exactly. It did. not only sums up the whole book, um, but it really sums up, really in some ways, all of Scripture. Um, because this is, again, the passage we're going to read is a passage not just Isaiah used, but it's the passage that Jesus used, the Apostle Paul used. It's a passage, really, that speaks to us today, I think, in a convicting way of saying, just like Martin Luther, <laughs> all right, um, where are we with the Word of God? And so I w- I'm going to read this again, and I think when we get, so this is page 38, if you're on your Isaiah book, um, and... Uh, So it starts out and it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Why don't we all say this together? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, 
This has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep unseen, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and the ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. The word of the Lord. That is what Jesus also said to the people as they were listening. It's what Apostle Paul said in Rome to the people. Um, And we're here, and we're going through Isaiah, to hopefully be a people that will hear with their ears, see with their eyes, and understand what the Lord has for us with our hearts. So to do that, we're going to do a little bit like we did last week, a little bit of a different twist. We're going to practice hearing. Okay, We did that last week. We're going to do it again. We're going to hear Isaiah 1, 1 chapter 1 through 2, 5. Um, and we were talking about that last week because this is going to be, we're going to learn, this is, this is like the key introduction. You know, if you think of any, anything you ever read, like a book or anything that introduces something, this is like, this is the introduction really to Isaiah. And it really contains in it themes of what's going to happen throughout Isaiah, as we'll learn. So we're going to spend some time really getting Isaiah 1 to 2 5 in our, in our head. So what I want you to do is last week I had you, so um, in your book, if you have a pen, yes, Tom. Just a little footnote. Um, verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 1 is a page in uh, Oswald Chambers. He deals with that. Oh, really? First sentence. And it's about how uh, a Christian matures and is challenged when his mentor passes. King Uzziah died. That's when he saw the Lord. King Uzziah was a good man. He was a godly man. Mm -hmm. And he was uh, the mentor for Isaiah. So when he died, now responsibility fell on his shoulders. And as soon as it fell on his shoulders, he saw the Lord. Huh. Oh, I see. That's good. Yeah. I actually did not know that. So so, uh, Chambers uses it as a theme saying, kind of more to pastors mm-hmm. and he says when your mentor passes the mantle's on you now now you're the you're boss called. now you have responsibility now you see the Lord huh. you, know, you don't have anybody to coddle up to and say what do I do yeah <laughs> yeah good uh-huh. good that gives some good context alright so last week I had you so if you see there's a page um, right before Isaiah 1 does everyone have a pen or anybody need a pen? Um, I think I have one. There you go. Tom, do you need one? Yeah, but I got I got some in the car. Oh, um, you, I think I have some. There you go. All right. So last week what I had you guys do is we were listening to this. So we're going to listen to it. 
We're going to listen to a different version than we did last week. And last week I had you, as we were listening to it, to think of one word that you hear, that you pick up as you, as you do it. And again, this is, um, you know, we are to hear God's word with our ears. Um, and so we're going to practice doing that. So last week it was that. And in fact, everybody remember what most of you heard? Prophet. What was the word? Prophet. Very good. Okay. So this week, what I want you to do is I want you to just sort of imagine yourself as if you were maybe back in Jerusalem. Who knows where, where this was, you know, where Isaiah might have said this, or whether he said it out loud, or whether people were, were reading it, or I mean, yeah, hearing it. But I want you to picture, like, let's say you were at the time of Isaiah. Say you were in Jerusalem. You're one of the chosen of Israel. You're one of the of God's people. And I want you to imagine that you hear Isaiah saying this to you, all right? And I want you to think of it personally, you know, like you're a group, okay? And we're all like, hey, we're Israel. This is who Isaiah is speaking to. And I want you to sort of listen as you're listening. I want you to think, is there something you're hearing, something that you're picking up, something that you hear either for yourself personally or something that just strikes you as you listen to this whole thing that you're hearing Isaiah say to you? And you don't have it written down, so you really have to listen, <laughs> you know, to what he says. All right? Everyone got that? Mm-hmm. So, so we're not to read along. No, you're not to read along. Keep your closed. Yep, you're just to hear with your ears. <laughs> okay? Yeah. All right. All right. Um, can we still? write as we hear? Do what? Are you okay to write as we hear? Yes. Okay. You can definitely write as you go. Yeah. So feel free to write in, in that part there as to what you're hearing. But something again that, that more strikes you as you're going as we're going through. Listen to the law of our God, people of Israel. 
You act just like the rulers and people of Sodom and Gomorrah. I am sick of your sacrifices, says the Lord. Don't bring me any more burnt offerings. I don't want the fat from your rams or other animals. I don't want to see the blood from your offerings of bulls and rams and goats. Why do you keep parading through my courts with your worthless sacrifices? The incense you bring me is a stench in my nostrils. Your celebrations of the new moon and the Sabbath day and your special days for fasting, even your most pious meetings, are all sinful and false. I want nothing more to do with them. I hate all your festivals and sacrifices. I cannot stand the sight of them. Now on, when you lift up your hands in prayer, I will refuse to look. Even though you offer many prayers, I will not listen. For your hands are covered with the blood of your innocent victims. Wash yourselves and be clean. Let me no longer see your evil deeds. Give up your wicked ways. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the orphan. Fight for the rights of widows. Come now, let us argue this out, says the Lord. No matter how deep the stain of your sins, I can remove it. I can make you as clean as freshly fallen snow. Even if you were stained as red as crimson, I can make you as white as wool. If you will only obey me and let me help you, then you will have plenty to eat. But if you keep turning away and refusing to listen, you will be destroyed by your enemies. I, the Lord, have spoken. See how Jerusalem, once so faithful, has become a prostitute? Once the home of justice and righteousness, she is now filled with murderers. Once like pure silver, you have become like worthless slag. Once so pure, you are now like watered-down wine. Your leaders are rebels, the companions of thieves. All of them take bribes and refuse to defend the orphans and the widows. Therefore the Lord, the Lord Almighty, the Mighty One of Israel says... I will pour out my fury on you, my enemies. I will turn against you. I will melt you down and skim off your slag. I will remove all your impurities. Afterward, I will give you good judges and wise counselors like the ones you used to have. Then Jerusalem will again be called the home of justice, the faithful city. Because the Lord is just and righteous, the repentant people of Jerusalem will be redeemed. But all sinners will be completely destroyed. They refuse to come to the Lord. Shame will cover you when you think of the times you offered sacrifices to idols in your groves of sacred oaks. You will blush when you think of all the sins you committed in your sacred gardens. You will wither away like an oak or garden without water. The strongest among you will disappear like burning straw. Your evil deeds are the spark that will set the straw on fire, and no one will be able to put it out. Chapter 2 This is another vision that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem will become the most important place on earth. People from all over the world will go there to worship. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Israel. There he will teach us his ways so that we may obey him. For in those days the Lord's teaching and his word will go out from Jerusalem. The Lord will settle international disputes. All the nations will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. All wars will stop and military training will come to an end. Come, people of Israel, let us walk in the light of the Lord.
right, so what did you hear? What stuck out to you? <clears throat> one word. Huh? One word? Nope, just no. Not one word, really more just, um, not, not the word, just, it could be a one word, but it can be just anything that just struck you as to what you heard Obey this me. time. Obey me. Okay. Write that down, too, in your in your Bibles, too, so you guys sort of remember. I even put a date there <laughs> as we're listening to it. They heard that uh, God's people had abandoned God. He didn't walk away from them. They walked away from him. Oh, good. Okay. So God's people walked away from him. He did not walk away from them. All right. It had a very... Um Parental, like just watching your child just do the wrong thing. Huh. And it's it's not about doing what I want you to do. Is I just want you to be a, who you are, be a good mm. person. Stop doing the wrong things. Let mm. me help you. Yeah. What did you hear that sounded parental to you? Oh. Any words that are even that you that it came across as parental? What did you hear? Any words that were that sounded like a parent? Um, oh yeah, all of it. Stop, you know, the, the burnt offerings, all these other things. Don't, you know, I just don't don't come and appease me and try to schmooze me and tell me what a cool guy I am and everything. What a great dad I am. No, I just want you to be. A, I want it for you. Huh? It's, it's, Who you were created to be. Yeah. This is painful <clears throat> to watch, you know. And the more you do that, the more painful it is. The more it's just, huh? Yeah. And yeah, the the let me help you. Mm-hmm. But you have to turn to me to let that happen. Okay. Mm-hmm. Obey me sounds like a parent. Mm-hmm. Oh, baby sounds like a parent. Yeah. Uh-huh. Sure. Sure. <laughs> You guys never had parents that say obey me, or you've never been a parent that says obey me. Yeah. <laughs> I know, dovetailing off what Jason said, it's um, it's almost like um, they're, they're punishing themselves. You know, right. they're, you know, it's like a spoiled mm-hmm. child that mm-hmm. just talks back, and, yeah. uh-huh. and their insincerity towards you know respect and love for their parents or for God. You know, that insincerity that. By God saying, "Hey, take your burnt offerings. They stink." You know, <laughs> basically, you know, I don't want. It. You know, I, I'm tired of your phoniness. You know, your Sunday gospels. You can, yeah, take it away from me. It was interesting when I was listening to it this time. I had not listened to this in context to listening to Martin Luther before, and I was thinking as I was, as I heard Martin Luther before, I'm thinking this is like what he was saying. He was. He was saying to you know the church at the time, He's like, oh, you're doing all these things, yeah. okay, but you're not really worshiping God. You're not listening mm-hmm. to God. You're not obeying God. He says, well, he says he's talking about the leadership as well. Yeah. Uh-huh, right. And so it's like when, the, when you're not following, your leaders aren't following the law. Mm-hmm. They're both set before God. And, and when, you, when you think about it, <clears throat> If the leaders would have just grabbed a hold of that, you know, do justly, is that what it says? You know? mm-hmm. What do I require of you but to be humble, do justice? Right. Right. 
Yeah, he's saying that to who? <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, he does point out, yeah. Uh, you know, tend to the, the, the widows and the poor and, mm -hmm. and the fatherless, and uh, and you're not. Yeah. You know? What else? Other, others, what are you hearing? Disappointment. Disappointment. Yeah. He's taking it to heart. Right. Really this is hurt. Like even though this seems like he's very angry, mm -hmm. he doesn't. I mean, obviously that guy's voice is very calm and soothing, but I still think that he kind of had that same type of tone. It's more like I'm, I'm just hurting for you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It wasn't more like yelling and screaming. Even though yeah, he uses the word hate. That's why I get like, you sense a little bit of anger. Yeah. But I think it's more like a disappointment. It's like very like, why? <laughs> you know. Like, mm -hmm. Why, why have you drifted so far? Why are you doing this? You know, and none of this means anything. And he's just like hurt. Right. He's probably trying to convey it like that way instead of like an angry way. You know. What else do I need to do? Yeah. Like a parent, like my father anyway. When he was scolding me, he was very redundant, and it drove me crazy. Hmm. <laughs> ah. and do you hear redundancy there? Redundant. <laughs> 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 he goes through about three cycles of the same thing. Yeah. Very interesting. You're, you're really, you're really a rotten bunch. You know, you really disappointed me. But you know what? If you turn around, I really love you, and it'll be great. And why don't you just shape up? And, and then we're back down into the judgment. You know, you're really screwing up. I hate it when you do this. And then he's back huh. up. You know, but if you're good, I'll be forgetting it. Yeah. And huh. it's hard for me to read this book. I've been trying because it's really redundant. Yeah. Maybe ah, your father was really wise. Yeah. <laughs> but but why he, he deliberately wanted to drive me crazy? Yeah, I, I like what you said. The redundant. Why? I mean, so why do you think it is redundant? Because they don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> so so well, that's interesting. Because when my father did it to me, I got it the first time. Uh huh. He just he come in and lay down on my bed like this. And he just wouldn't let me lay. And he'd go over it and over it and over it, scolding huh. me and berating me. And no, no, no. It's like. I got it. It's because you it. thought you had. And if I got a little, if I got a little impatient, oh, really? then it would really go off. <laughs> He's not finished. Yeah. Beat the dead snake. Huh? <laughs> Beat the dead snake. Well, it wasn't a matter just of you getting it. It was also the fact that you do don't want. You, you should not want this to happen again. <laughs> I'm going to make this painful. I know what I'm doing. Oh. Yeah. The lecture you was you the punishment. That's right. Yeah. Well, I just wonder if God had a few drinks like my dad did. I uh, no, but I think like as a kid and even now, like when my dad talks to me, I'm always like, yeah, I know, I know. Like I know, I get it, I get it. Like I think I got it. You know, I think, and he's like, you know, maybe these people think they have it. Yeah. I have it under control. And that's probably why he's going to be done it and how you know. Because we all have to be reminded that we have nothing in control anymore. I always go <laughs> as a kid. Oh, yeah, I got things. I got, I got, I got it. That's my daughter right now, man. Oh. Tell her you correct her. She's like, okay, I'm on it. You're like, no, you don't understand. Like, I'm going to keep going. You're like jump. positive advice. I'm like, yeah, 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 no, I got it. Yeah, yeah got it, Dad. I mean, I like listening to the, your language. See how you just said that? You don't understand it. Uh -huh. Hear that understand when again? You, see, you don't understand yeah, it. Like, yeah. Got you, Dad. No, you don't. I don't think you do. Because she doesn't listen. Yeah. So how, how do you, how would you say that? Don't understand it. So how do you know as a parent that she doesn't understand it. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean... You're she's not doing it. You just know. Well, so there's like a, a level of conviction that hits, right, where they go, 
oh yeah, yeah, okay, thank you. Right? I think when your kids understand it, they're like, thank you, I needed that. Or at least mm-hmm. that's the hope, mm-hmm. right? Not that you see that all the time. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you, it's interesting for me, I noticed in this, there is nuance as he's going. And what I thought was interesting is the contrast where at first he tells them to wash themselves. And then a little bit later he's saying, let me wash you. I'll wash you white as wool. Right. Mm-hmm. I can make you clean. Yes. Don't worry about your sins. I'll clean you. Huh. And so you're huh. like, it's just interesting to listen to. Interesting. That's, yeah. That's Whether it's nuance or it's like two sides, it makes me think of like when Paul's like, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who's at work in you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And you're going, oh, these almost contradict, right? But he's going, no, these, both of these are working together. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. You you let me help you. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing. It just that's kind of you that nutshell. Like, but you have to <laughs> yeah to play that role. You have to be right. the one letting me, but I'll do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anybody else who else said anything that you sort of picked up? It seems to me like he's also talking about um, like he's not he doesn't like the sacrifices, right? Mm-hmm. He wants sacrifice of lips. He wants what? Sacrificing his lips. Yeah, okay. He wants us praising him and being thankful, entering into his courts with thanksgiving. So it's the sacrifice, he was even saying it back then. You know, you're, you're shedding all these, the blood of all these animals, mm-hmm. but I want to hear a sacrifice from your lips. Mm-hmm. I want you to take time and praise me and thank me. And mean it. Yeah, yeah, or yeah. from the heart. Heart, right? yeah, so right from the heart. Right. It's all about the heart. Right. He knows, right? Yeah. Was mm-hmm. it as if we're just giving a lip service? Or Is it also the actions, though, the actions of abiding? Because I can say a lot of things, but if I'm not fully abiding, I, I agree with what's being said. Mm-hmm. And, and abiding. So um, just living it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Well, let me see. Yeah. So anybody else that hasn't said anything? Yeah. Um, well, just going off that, it's just, it seems like it's just like a relational thing and like a heart mm-hmm. thing, not just like a you must do this. Like, mm-hmm. it reminded me like right away of like Psalm 51 where it talks about like, uh, like I don't delight in sacrifices or burnt offerings, but then it says in verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Nice. Oh God, you will not despise it. It just seems like an exact like parallel to that. Mm-hmm. Like at the beginning of Isaiah 1, and like how they're like turned away and it's like their hearts aren't with God like even though they may be doing like parts of the law mm-hmm. yeah. so it's like they're maybe doing it but they're not really their hearts are not there they don't understand yeah yeah, yeah. okay mm-hmm. I haven't yeah. spoken there can I speak you didn't speak <laughs> <laughs> did your dad succeed <laughs> no 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 Jeff was looking, was looking for, and we look for with our kids. You know when it struck the heart, and you know when it struck. Yeah. I think yeah, it, Tom, it, yeah. It goes back to your chapter 6, because uh, when Hezekiah died, then he looked up and he had this vision, and, mm-hmm. and he saw heaven. And then as soon as the vision hit him, he confessed his guilt. So I think that that's the first move that may apply to, to the children of Israel oh, too. Uh-huh. To confess the guilt before the before repentance. 
you're confessing guilt. He says, oh, I'm a man of unclean lips. Yeah, yeah. And he doesn't ask for anything. He just confesses that. And God goes, oh, really? Here's the coals from the altar. Now, uh, you've just been, you know, cured of that. Yeah. It, it's a, it was a gift, and he and he didn't do anything. So else. somebody's Isaiah sort of setting the example here. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Confess your sins to one another. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. I think there's a little message of hope here because God's doing this out of love for His people, hmm. and He's going to discipline them, but and He knows He's bringing them back. You know? Yeah. Let me read this a verse. It says, "Yeah, yeah." And and He touched my mouth with the gold with the ember burning coal. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this says, Touch your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. It's, I mean, it's, all he had to do was confess right. that he was guilty. Right. Yeah, yeah, good. All right. Well, yeah. just real quick, I think about the parenting thing, too, that, like, I'm thinking of my youngest now, and she'll want to skip over the moment of repentance to like the moment of embrace. Mm-hmm. Like, whoops, sorry about that. Let me ha- give you a hug, right? And you're going to, as, a, <laughs> as a parent, all yeah. you long for is to embrace your child, right? But you're going, if I see conviction, I can go comfort her, right? But the other, it's like, just makes me think of like mm-hmm. the sacrifice mm-hmm. without justice, right? Mm-hmm. And he's going, right. Don't do that, right? It's it's cheapening something in the relationship or something like that. You know, like I want my kids, I want to catch them doing the right thing instead of them doing the right thing every time I remind them. Right. You know, and you see him going like, I want to find you guys helping the widow and the orphan. Like that's what I want to see you guys doing, and then I can just come to you and embrace you, right? Mm-hmm. You're like, anyway. Yeah. That's, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, good. That's good. You guys. You guys heard. Yeah. <laughs> Heard well. Um, it's sort of different, isn't it? Trying to, especially something long like that, trying to really listen um, through it. We're so used to, I don't know, for me, I'm used to like reading, and then reading again and moving my eyes back and trying to look at exactly. back and forth. Really learning to listen is, it's it's not it's something moving we, too quickly for yeah, you to be able it, to digest it. It does. Mind. It moves very quickly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You the, the one thing that is interesting in it is that. Um, uh, again, in terms of like um, the parental component, is there's still a uh, he's laying down some things that you should be doing, right? Um, that are pretty obvious demonstrations of doing the right thing. At the same time, he's not mastering them. He's not saying boom, 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 and and it's. It's not 100% clear exactly what they're doing wrong, exactly exactly what they're missing. That's why the six is interesting. Let them continue not to see unless they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and, uh, and, and with their heart yeah. and are willing to heal. Yeah. And then they'll understand is the presumption what they've been missing this whole mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. and not doing right. What so are they missing? What do you guys think they're missing? Their spirit. Well, their spirit. When you say that, what do you mean? Of God and them. Okay, they're missing. Right. Okay. I mean, they're, God wants their love, their spirit. Okay. You know, okay. They don't want. He wants their they love. They don't want to go through the okay. motions. These religious 
right, hey, let's go sacrifice the land. We're good. All right, let's go out and gamble. It's Monday now. You know, it's like uh-huh. he wants that to be meaningful. It, it, I mean, to feel it in their in their soul, in their heart, okay, in their spirit, and worshiping him in spirit. Yeah, truly worshiping. Him. Okay. Uh huh. Truly love, like we want from our kids. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Another thing I heard was that they were in need of uh, bandaging. And then bandaging. Hmm. Yeah. Need of them in need of bandaging. I know it's an interesting way of putting that. It yeah. really is. Right? <laughs> and, <laughs> and then if they'd only understand, then I would heal them. Huh. You bandage them up. And heal interesting. Them. Yeah. Huh. I thought about. Yeah, that's an interesting metaphor. That's good. But Greg, at this point, have uh-huh. they gone like way off track, worshiping other idols? So that have they? Had at this point, they had gone way off yes, track, they worshiping have. idols. Yeah, right. The earth bowls were set up the high places. The, you know, worshiping the gods of the other surrounding nations. Right. And, I mean, they were, they weren't even, you know. Disobeying, they were on a whole different path. Yeah, yeah and I mean, at this point, yes. we're talking about around 700 A yeah. BC. So at this point, you know that because already the ju- I mean, already Israel has been split. Yeah. I mean, you've got two different kingdoms. You've got the northern kingdom, Israel. You've got the southern kingdom, Judah. I mean, already you have all that. Ju- judgments already been taking place. Yeah. Um, and we'll see that more as we go through and look at some of the history of that and what's going on with that as we walk through. So, yes, definitely. Um, Okay. God wasn't correcting him for minor stuff. Minor <laughs> yeah. No. No. And it's sort of like, um, I don't know who is, well, maybe Tom was saying this a little bit, but it, it's like there's this, there's a pattern that's been going on yeah. for quite some time, as we'll find out. <laughs> okay. But, but, the, um, but those yeah, like things that, that in, at that point, I don't know that there's a tremendous difference between a minor the things that you might think are minor transgressions are just the same exact thing masked in a way that appears to be less dramatic, less yeah, yeah, yeah. specific, and mm-hmm. frankly, more more insidious, more dangerous. It's yeah. very, very easy to see a burning metal cow on the hillside and go, okay, I know what's right. going on there, as opposed to not that. Yeah, yeah and that's but, good. That's a good point. In fact, I mean, one of the things we're going to see is when you take a look at the history of what's happening right now during this time period, there's points in time where to the people of Israel and Judah, they're, I mean, from an economic perspective, they think God's totally blessing them. Everything, a lot of things are going well. Their economy is going really well. You know, they have the stock market. The stock market's going up. I mean, there's a lot of things going on that they think, wow, life's really good. What they don't realize is that what they think is God's blessing we'll see is really because of what they've been doing to get that mm-hmm. um, and not really following God. So we'll, yeah. we'll see those as we go through. Um, so I want to bring up something. So um, Bill has sent me some links. Um, Bill Darnell sent me some links to some different teachings um, on Isaiah, and I was listening to one of them. I'm not sure if I can say. You can maybe tell me the guy's name. Skip Heitzik? Heitzik, Yeah. yeah. So um, he does he does some um, like one hour I guess he's going through and doing must be doing like this thing called thirty thousand feet of the Bible yeah. and he's going through and like I guess maybe a sermon series they did for his church or something I'm assuming and he's doing this for different you know the whole Bible and he's now coming to Isaiah so he does 
one hour on one through thirty-nine and one hour on. He gets the idea from um, you're this jet, you know, and you're thirty thousand yeah. feet above the Bible, meaning it's an overview. It's yeah. not like reading the book, right? And, and getting to every little detail, but yeah. it hits on points that really kind of matter and uh-huh. get you interested. You want to read the book, then? Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, it was good. I was listening to him, and he was um, a little bit of what we talked about last week. Uh, he was talking about, I gave a good illustration, in 1971, the Apollo 14 mission to the moon. Yeah. I don't know if any of you know it. I don't think I knew that. I used to follow all this stuff, but I wasn't even a, I know I was not a Christian at that time. So I was. Lo- I loved watching all the Apollo stuff, and I, in fact, I watched the space shuttle land, the very first space shuttle land live. Um, I was really into the space stuff. Anyway, I didn't know this. Was in 1971, he was this guy, Skip, was talking about how the Apollo 14 went to the moon, and when it did, it took the entire King James Bible on board with it. Oh. Okay. But that King James Bible had been reduced 63,000 times in size to where it ended up being the entire Bible fit on one two inch by two inch microfilm. Okay. okay, and uh, so you know you could you could this is one little Bible and the one little two inch by two inch you have the entire scriptures reduced down to the small spots um, size. And I was thinking about what we were talking about last week. I mean that's sort of what we were saying with this pen. Mm-hmm. You know when we were looking at this pen last week, it's got on the bottom, it's got all the Old Testament, all right, and on the top it has the different New Testament, all right? And we were talking about last week how, really, for this to be truly the full pen, you've got to have both, okay? You've got to have both the old and the new, and they come together to form one, the entire Bible, the entire scriptures that we have. But we only have a piece of it, we don't really know what's going on. Um, he made a point, which is also the point about why we're doing what we're doing, is for a little bit of our approach with Isaiah, is that... He actually said, too, he said, you can look at Isaiah. Think about it. Isaiah is how many chapters? 66. 66. And uh, how many chapters are there in the Old Testament? 39. How many? Right, exactly. How many chapters are there in the New Testament? 27. Do your math. Okay. And what's interesting is a lot of people, where do they divide Isaiah? 39. That's right. You're saying Exactly. They divide Isaiah. There's a big shift that happens in 1 through 39. So you can now look at this as almost like Isaiah. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. And that it, in a sense, Isaiah is representing, and what it's going to go through when you look at Isaiah is really all of Scripture. The whole scripture. <laughs> okay. So Isaiah is sort of like a miniature version of the entire Bible. All right. And so you've got the first 39 chapters, you've got the last 27 chapters. All right, and in fact, the last 27 chapters sort of pick up in chapter 40 with the New Testament <laughs> themes and the hope that's going on. All right. Well, the same thing with what we're doing. The reason why we're right now going to spend more time in chapter one through two five is because chapter one through two five is really doing the same thing. It's now taking and even compressing more. And what Isaiah is doing in chapter 1 through 2-5 that you listen to today 
is really presenting the themes that are going to occur throughout all of Isaiah, which is the same things in many ways that occur out throughout the whole Bible. So you can see just sort of the, the I'm going to say, the majesty, <laughs> majestic of God of how he's put all this together in that way. So we see that actually even in chapter 1. And it's, a, it's one of the key reasons why it's important for us to take a look at that because once we sort of get the foundation as to what's happening, then we can start using that to become the base of everything else we're looking through with Isaiah. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of the reasons why we're focusing yeah. particularly in chapter 1. So, so um, your dad is right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How did that relate to his dad being right? Oh, by doing it over and over again? Yeah. So, if you were to take a look, I'm going to try to do this, Bruce. Hopefully, you're going to see this. Uh, let's see if I can pull this off. I'm going to try this. Um, it's so hard to see. Here we go. Share screen. Right. Okay. So, Bruce, hopefully, you're going to see this. All right. So, anybody want to guess what you're looking at right now? And particularly, but now this is sort of hard. This is sort of hard to see, but I particularly want you to focus on the gray portions, which are from here to here. Okay, I don't know if you can sort of see. It's it's hard on this TV. It doesn't have very good contrast. No, 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 that's a good contrast. Okay, what did you say? can you guys Somebody see that? interrupted you. What did you say? Sorry. So I want you to look and see. Does anybody, can you guess what you're looking at? And I particularly want you to look at this middle shaded portion to wherever it is. It's hard for me to see when I'm right up to it. What you're looking at there. Looks like a sky. We're going to see now. You know, we were hearing before, but I'm going to show you something, see something. Um, the length of the chapters. Okay. The length of chapters of what book? Isaiah. Very good. <laughs> Very good, Tom. So what's... What is what do you when you say the length of the chapters? What are you seeing there? Well, so the length is represented by what? The high bar. The high. That's, that's the right. High exactly. The high bar okay. being black, right? Yeah. So well, the high bar is not so much black, but this these are the bars right here, the white yeah, the coming side. down. So chapter one of Isaiah starts right here, and if you were to and so the number of verses within that chapter is how long that is. Why, okay. why do they have it upside down? That's true. Well, you'll, have, you'll, down. you'll see in a second why I have it upside because down. It's upside really down. not upside down. Um, yeah. and, and flat. So you can <laughs> see that if you look at chapter 4, they'll be there. All right. But okay. what's fascinating... That's not, that's not me. <laughs> Good time. Just as what I ate for lunch. <laughs> yeah. All right. So... Why does it look like it upside down? Well, it's really not upside down because what is fascinating about Isaiah, but more than just Isaiah, is if I move this down, if I can try to do this, you see what you're looking at here? What you're now looking at is you're looking at from each chapter, you're looking at all the cross-references, the cross-reference from that chapter to other chapters, and ultimately to other books of the entire Bible. Wow. Rainbows. And in fact, the colors represent how far the arc is from. So you can see 
obviously this starts in Genesis right here. Yeah. So in Genesis 1, which does, if you read Genesis 1 through 3, it gets resolved out here in Revelation 21. You can see all these links that happen. And you can even see links within books. So it's pretty easy to figure out where... Anybody know what this is right here? <laughs> Everyone should know that. Why is that so long? What is that? Psalm. Psalm what? It's a chapter. 119. 119. 119. <laughs> okay. Very good. So, again, you can sort of see, just, again, people, you know, you think about just how God has strung all this, Jeff and I were talking about this day. I mean, you just see how God has put all these pieces together. This was all written over 3,000 years, over like 27 different continents by all these different people, and ultimately you see how God has threaded it all together. Okay. There are 27 continents. I think it's 27. Continents? I think it's 27. I don't know if it's... No, it's not continents. It's probably 27 countries. Yeah. No, I said continents. So it's 27 countries. Thank you. <laughs> I don't think there's 27 continents. There's not, there's not 27 continents. <laughs> Thank you. Anyway, I wanted to show you guys that there's a visualization of sort of the Bible. But that's also why when we're coming down and we come down even into chapter 1 and we're going to come and now look at starting at chapter 1, verse 1, and we start doing that, we're going to see, again, how as, as we read even just the first couple verses in chapter 1, you can think of almost like this diagram where all of a sudden it just shoots out, okay, mm-hmm. and it's covering everything within the Word of God. Um, and you see God at work. I want, with that, that. I want that poster. Yeah. <laughs> you can act. You can. Jason, you can actually buy that poster. Okay. Yeah. You can actually buy that. Yeah, you can actually buy that. It's already done. <laughs> You're down on this one. All right. So John does beat you too. Um, oh, here we go. This is so fun doing. Um, doing these different things. All right. So let's let's go now back to Isaiah. And. I want you to open up chapter 1. But it was just written by men. Yeah, I know, and that's... You know, and that that brings up... Over thousands of years. Yeah, what Jason just says, only written by men. I mean, that brings up a reason why... I mean, one of the many, many reasons why we do this... Well, we're going to see some of the reasons right now. Why do we get together on Tuesday nights and study the Word of God? Um, it reminds me of just about a month ago. I had I was just um, outside walking the dogs in the lawn by where we live, and up drive drives a car, and I immediately knew who was in the car um, because in the car were two men, two young men, dressed in suits, okay, <laughs> and elders. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> and, they, and they got out of the car and they had little name tags on. Mm-hmm. And they immediately came up to me. And, um, Did they sing? They didn't sing. <laughs> they didn't, yeah, they didn't sing. But it was interesting because they were Mormons. Yeah. All right. And young Mormons. And so we started talking and, I, and they asked me. And it, I mean, it's pretty, you know, you, you get them a lot of boldness. I mean, they don't. They don't yeah. beat around the bush. It reminds me back in the old days when we used to like go door to door, you know, right. and oh, yeah. get people the tracks and everything. Mm. You know, they are so good because they just start right off. You know, hey, do you know? Do you know 
the Lord? Do you know? Do you know Jesus? I mean, they actually use all the same language. Anyway, so we got we got talking, and they asked me, "Well, have you ever read the Book of Mormon?" And I said, "I have." And they said, "Well, what did you think about it?" And so the interesting thing is, when you think about what we looked at there with that picture, you know, the Book of Mormon is written by how many people? Mm. One. One. One person. Yeah. Okay. Written by one person, okay, who's sort of claiming that this is from God. One person. And anyway, so what's interesting, if you ever read, if you guys ever read the Book of Mormon, or if you read the Quran, yes. for example, it's fascinating because, I mean, even the Apocrypha, you know, if you read the Apocrypha, the more you get into this Word of God, and the more you see all those connections, and you see what we're talking about here, the more when you go and read something like the Book of Mormon, you go, just wait a minute. Yeah. It's not connecting to other things I've read before. It yeah, doesn't, doesn't seem right. It doesn't read right. It doesn't. Flat, you get this sense, almost like you're dealing with an imposter, like you're talking to someone. And I told them that honestly. I just said yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't feel like when I'm reading the Book of Mormon that I don't feel, you know, the Spirit of God. I don't yeah. feel. Like I said I've. It just doesn't connect with everything else that I read in Scripture. The connections are not there. But what's fascinating is what is the what's the book most quoted in the Book of Mormon? By far, I mean, like some Isaiah. huge amount of times, Isaiah. Yeah. All I right. Like that. Fact, the Book of Mormon so uses it all Mormon the time. Include the Bible, like, what is the relationship? No. The so Bible the Book of Mormon sits by itself, written by Joseph Smith, with no books from Scripture in it. Well, no, correct. Okay. Correct. But it quotes Scripture. But it quotes Isaiah intensely. I mean, there's something like, I don't remember off the top of my head, almost like in the Book of Mormon, there's almost like 20 chapters of Isaiah that are almost quoted in full when you put the whole thing together. So they use that and pull that all together. Um, but again, well, but that graph even goes further. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When they study, they have the, the Bible alongside yeah, they do. Oh, they but do. what's interesting is you when you start trying to make, and that's part of the reason why we're doing what we're doing. When you start making these connections, you start seeing this, you know, that those arcs, and you then try to start listening to what they're saying in the Book of Mormon, and you try to make those arcs over to Scripture. You go, hmm. C.S. Lewis has got this great example of that where he says, because we've essentially claimed the same thing with the New Testament. Like we've we've found this missing piece, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. For the Jews, like, for the Jews, right. in it, yeah. So we come with this missing piece, and he would say, "Well, if you picture it like a symphony, this missing piece should be the thing that ties the whole thing together, right? Uh-huh. Not starts a new song, right? 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 And Which is know, what the Book of Mormon does, right? It starts, starts a, a new view. song. Right. Versus you look at that picture and you're going, oh, like. All the arcs come together, yeah. right? You're going the to, is there. It's this missing piece that, like, all of a sudden makes sense out of the whole, which is yeah. cool. Yeah, no, good, it's yeah. It's a good illustration yeah. for that. Yeah. But, Craig, just a quick question. Uh-huh. You mentioned the Apocrypha. Apocrypha. Yeah, is that how you pronounce it? Apocrypha. Okay. Um, Don't ever go by my pronunciation. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'm terrible at that. Yeah, so. my uh, wife is. Is that the, the new, the intertestamal yes. time? Right. Is that used by the Catholic Church? It is used. What's interesting about that is it is used by the Catholic Church. Um, they do recognize it is separate from other scriptures, but they have it included. 
What's fascinating, though, is the church, like during the time of Constantine, when they put together and just, you know, said, we're, I mean, they're really validating what God's already said. These are the 66 books of the canon. So it's like people, it's not like the men just got together and said, is this book, is that book? It's like these are the 66 books that the church had been using all through the time. So you've got the Old Testament, which was completed in about 200 B.C., mm-hmm. and then you had in the Septuagint. So you have the Old Testament really complete and used by the Jews well before even Jesus was born. Right. No one was disagreeing that Isaiah or Malachi or whatever, they, those books have always been those books. Yeah. And that's the same thing with the New Testament. If you look at the early church, it is always using basically the same books we have today all the way up. And really in the time of Constantine where they canonize that, they're really doing what the church already had been doing, saying these are the books. In that, the Apocrypha was never included. Have the Apocrypha read, was never the, even there. Hmm? Have you read the... I've read parts of the Apocrypha. Right. You get the same type of feeling. The Apocrypha, and you probably have too, the Apocrypha to me comes across more as just like history. Yeah. It's like yeah. you're reading history. So it's good in the yeah. sense you're reading yeah. history, but it's like reading scripture. history. It's yeah. not like reading like scripture. History. Right. Yeah. So it helps you understand some of the things that happened in those 400 years between um, Malachi, yeah, between Malachi um, when the New Testament, Old Testament was done, and when we have Jesus. Yeah. So you start picking up on the wars and the Maccabee Revolution, a lot of different things like that. So it helps you with context. Yeah. It it gives you some historical stuff that went on, but it's not. It doesn't come up. No, it doesn't come across. Yeah. yeah. So they just read it. They read it as history. Yeah, yeah. They can, read it as history. can you put that chart up again of the arcs? Um, I can try. Love you, Bruce. <laughs> there it is. Okay. When I saw that, um, something went off, and and I just remembered what it was, and I got it's far out. I got to share it. Okay. Take two minutes. Yeah. No. Go. Go. You can go online. Princeton University nuclear war exchange scenario and watch a simulation of a nuclear war going on with the present force structures today, with the strategy in place in the United States Soviet Union. And it looks like that. Yeah, with all the missiles that come. It looks like that. And (laughs) what's really fascinating to me is you take the Old and the New Testament, say the Old is the United States and the New is Russia. Uh Preemptive strike, you all know what that is. Whoever gets their missiles off first. Well, instead of destroying one another in the nuclear war scenario, what's happening, what God's doing, is he's creating. He's not destroying, he's creating. And from the Old Testament, he launches into the future <laughs> to create what's going to come. And, and then the other side, the New Testament, is launching into the past to say, we read you, we, we hear you, we're retaliating. Huh. You know, it's amazing. Huh. Huh. And then within the books, like the Old Testament will launch into the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. That's like a, a tactical war within a theater. Within in, like- in this scenario, if you guys go online and look at it, it's really amazing. It shows the, how the, the war starts in Europe. So, oh. so the nuclear exchange is a tactical exchange in Europe. Huh. And that could be within the book, you within see. small book, yeah. It's, it's going within the Old Testament of, like Isaiah's launching into the future in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. He's creating into the future of the Old Testament. Yeah. 
and then you know they would refer back to him. Right. right. So they're exchanging. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Pretty, huh. Good. All right. And we're going to see how that works here as we get into chapter one. So chapter one. One one. We'll start at the beginning. We we went through this a little bit last week, but I want to sort of review quickly some of the chapter. Um, some of this, but get a little bit more into chapter one, um, and particularly the first couple of verses. So um, one one. All right. A uh, couple of notes here. And one of the things, yeah. Let me just one thing about this. The approach here is we're going to spend, like I said, a lot of time in chapter one to two five. And then we're going to start getting and launch into the rest of the book. At certain times when we go through this, I will bring out as so. What's interesting about one one through two five is it's not really detailed. It's sort of like it's showing you in a sense, sort of saying we're going to go all these places, but it's not the detail yet. Once you start getting past two five, you then start getting into some of the actual detail, the oracles saying this is what's happening when, and then we will start looking at the actual history. What's going on with Assyria? What's going on with Israel at this time? And start understanding some of that with maps and stuff, too, to sort of get an idea of what's really going on that Isaiah is describing. Okay. And what I'm also trying to do is instead of us going and watching an overview or looking at the overview of Isaiah, many people have different overviews of it, is for us to sort of see that overview within the Bible itself, within chapter 1, and to see how chapter 1 is going to sort of give us an introduction, an overview of what's happening through the rest of the book. Okay, all right. So Isaiah one one. Last week we talked about. Notice how it starts out by saying the vision. And what do we? Anybody remember what we talked about? What What does vision mean here? Revealed from God. Right. Very good. So the word for um, vision here in Hebrew is always used um, as as something that. God is supernaturally revealing of himself or what he's doing that the people would not know. So it's it's a revelation, okay? It's not like a vision, like a dream. It's more like I'm God's going to reveal something that is literally the revelation of God that we would not know without that. Okay, and that's how it's always used. That's why he said this starts out by saying the vision. Now what's the vision in contrast to? So you notice how it starts out. It's sort of interesting. Isaiah starts out with the vision. What is Isaiah constantly criticizing? So when we think of vision, what's the, a vision? If I, it's what I like see something, right? Where what's Isaiah going to be doing is over and over again telling God's going to give us this vision to something, but he's going to talk about how the people don't see. <laughs> So you sort of have this contrast, you know, between I'm showing you something, but you're blind to it. I'm telling you something, but you can't hear. All right. So it starts out with the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos. Now, we will talk a little bit more about Isaiah when we, as we go through. But there is very, a lot of people have a lot of theories about who Isaiah is. No one really knows. Hmm. I mean, no one really knows, like, what did he do? Who is he? Where was he living? Um, you know, a lot of people will assume he's living in Jerusalem. Um, people will assume maybe he's a scribe of some type because he writes Hebrew so well. But you notice as we go through the book of Isaiah, 
Isaiah isn't mentioned very often. No. Okay. In fact, you will see that this 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 script right here, this this um, subscript, the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, occurs in chapter one right here. It occurs in chapter two immediately again, same thing, and then it doesn't occur until chapter thirteen one, and that's it. Okay. Then Isaiah himself is men- mentioned. Um, He's men- mentioned a few times, like in Isaiah 7.3, and he's mentioned a number of times in Isaiah 36-39, his name is mentioned. But again, Isaiah, you don't learn about Isaiah, really. Why do you think that is? Who he was was not that important. It's what he yeah. had to say and yeah. prophesy. Do we know what his name meant? They think... Yeah, they think it, it means yeah, it means salvation. Yahweh is salvation is sort of what they think the name sort of means. And Amos means um, Yahweh is strong. So names have meanings, but even that is not necessarily exact. Okay, so they think that it, that his name means Yahweh is my salvation. Um, but but. That's a little bit with trying to play and guess a little bit as to what it really means. So honestly, they think that that's what it means, but they don't necessarily know what that's what it means. Okay, but you're right. So Isaiah doesn't focus on Isaiah. I mean, here's this maybe the most the, the most famous prophet of all time, the prophet that's quoted more than any other prophet in the New Testament, and yet you go, who is he? It's not important. It's not important. Yeah. Okay. Um, he's not important in the sense that he's not calling attention to himself. Not at all. You know, saying, "Look at me, he's, I'm the prophet." He's you much know? wiser than that. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> he must have been well connected, though, within somehow. Maybe that's why he doesn't. He's not bragging. He doesn't have to. It doesn't have to. Yeah. Be. Or he's not well connected, but he's well connected to. God. God. That's yeah. the, real, the real connection. Right. Yeah, the real connection. Yeah. Um, turn, just give you sort of an example. Amos is like this too. And I think Isaiah is a little bit like Amos. So turn mm-hmm. to Amos, um, if you have your Bibles, turn to Amos 7.14. So, it's just interesting how Isaiah, um, Amos um, talks about himself. And I think it's a little bit probably yeah. um, like that. It. Amos is in... <laughs> Chapter 7. How are these guys recognized as <laughs> prophets? We'll, pro- we'll talk about that as we go along. Um, what, is, what, is, what is the way... Well, how do you think that? Let me ask well, that question. It's, it seems like, you know, God would find a, a, an open vessel i.e. what he says in 6. Right. Right. And you will be my prophet. You will be my prophet. Uh-huh. And, and and then he tells king whoever, this guy's your prophet. Okay? And so now he's just part of the, the court or whatever and is the prophet. And when I have something to tell you, it'll come through him. Uh-huh. Or something along those lines, which is why they were just... They were the prophets, and they broke. They, you know, they, these are included in the book. Right. Must have. There must have been some godly officiating there. I would imagine. Anybody else have any thoughts as to right. that? As to, as to what? How do they know 
Amos He's a prophet. Timeline of Isaiah, but mm-hmm. but he was older, right? He was like before Uzziah died, somewhere in that area. Yeah, yeah. I don't. They didn't really know because they killed them all. <laughs> yeah, I know. Exactly. Yeah, including so, yeah. Isaiah. I mean, they don't really know how Isaiah died, but the tradition is something like he was put inside of a. Yeah, he was put inside of a. a hollow tree and cut in half. I mean, so there you know you're right. So if you want to know if you're a prophet, I mean, that's a good way of knowing. Um, I mean, obviously one of the big main ways you know you're the prophet goes back to Deuteronomy. And I think it's... Not cool. I'm going to say like Deuteronomy... I'm not sure if it's four. There's a couple chapters in Deuteronomy I have to look where God actually specifies what a prophet... How to know if there's, it's really a prophet. Which is pretty much... That they tell, foretell the future, and they foretell the future accurately, and they foretell the future accurately all the time. <laughs> okay, so if you are a prophet and you miss one time, basically Deuteronomy says you're under the curse of the law, and you're not a prophet. Okay, so um, that's one. That is one big way. Uh-huh. to the prophet side, defensive, say Ezekiel, Jonah. Uh huh. He prophesied, but yet the Lord repented of what he was going to do. That doesn't make him a false prophet. Right, yeah, yeah. 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 Just because he has to. Yeah. Jonah is a prophet. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay, so I just looked something up. It's like his origins in rabbinic literature, they would say. Like in the Talmud and stuff? Yeah, they Uh would say, thought to be a descendant of Judah and Tamar. Uh-huh. Uh, his father, uh, Amoz, was the brother of King Amaziah. So I think some people would say he had yeah, potentially yeah. connections to, ro- to royalty, royalty which kept that's alive for a long time. Oh, right. Long time. Yeah. Um, One of the most prophets, I think. Well, so guys, they got a couple chapters and then you boom. Gotta, you gotta write that. Four and a half kings were the minor prophets. Like, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, guys. Um, and then King Manasseh is said to be the one that... Mm. Half them. <laughs> Half. Yeah. This doesn't say anything about the tree. Oh yeah, no, a cedar tree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like in a hollow cedar tree or something like yeah, that. Yeah. But it says <laughs> he was killed. Tradition says for claiming to have seen God, and they were saying only Moses has seen God. So that was like his. Yeah. And and again, I guess the reality is we have that, but we don't know it's because not, I, you know, the Bible does not tell us. And I think like it's always good to just be. Yeah, it's always just good to be aware that yeah. we can have traditions like that, but Scripture doesn't say. And maybe yeah. there's some reasons why Scripture doesn't say. You know, um, so you just want to make sure you can separate those two and hold those sort of lightly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, sure. And so, like Amos in seven fourteen, I love what he says. Um, this this is a good example of a prophet um, of how you know he's a prophet. As you listen to him, he says seven fourteen, seven fourteen. Yeah, he says. Then Amos answered and say said to Amaziah, I was no prophet nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now therefore hear the word of the Lord. So you notice he just sort of downplays who he is. Very humble, very much like, you know, I'm, I'm not the one making myself a prophet. If you have people who say, I'm a prophet... 
Suspect. Yeah, suspect. Okay. Um, I didn't get that. Could you try again? You say, hey Siri. What's that? My Siri? Oh my gosh. Hi Siri. How you doing today? Maybe Siri is getting. That turns her on when I. I don't have that shut off on my iPad when I preach. I know. I don't even know where that came. I guess I came from my watch. That's sort of. Oh, I think because I when I bring my watch up, it turns on Siri automatically when I bring. Anyway. Okay. Hopefully, hopefully Siri is learning something about the Bible today. Um, The other place to turn. I want you to turn to. Look at Isaiah 39. And this is where it's, it's in Isaiah 36 and 39 that I, you hear Isaiah's name um, mentioned quite a few times. But this is the last mention that you hear Isaiah's name actually used. And then what's interesting, this is in 39... You never hear the word, the name Isaiah after 39. So 40 on through the rest of the book, you never hear his name. Um, and we'll talk about that at some point. But so, and just listen to how, who, I mean, what Isaiah does. So in Isaiah 39, trying to get there. So, um, st- like this, so this is around Hezekiah. And I'll just start at verse. Um, well, let me, yeah, let me start at verse at verse one. Sort of listen to how Isaiah is presented here, and this is the last mention of him. So it says, at that time, Merodach, Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon. So it's during the time of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah. So here you have Babylon, which is a the nation that <laughs> exiles them, all right? Um, so see, they sent envoys with letters and presents to Hezekiah. And anybody know who Hezekiah is at this point? That's right, king of Judah, okay? For he heard that he had been sick and had recovered, and Hezekiah welcomed them gladly. So guess, guess who what Hezekiah is welcoming? Babylonians. Yeah, the Babylonians. And he showed them his treasure house. Hezekiah showed him his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his whole armory, all that was found. He's an idiot. (laughs) So you can tell Hezekiah is not a prophet at this point. (laughs) There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet... So now here comes the prophet, that Isaiah the prophet came to King Uzziah and said to him, "Uh, What did these men say, and from where did they come from? Hezekiah said, They have come to me from a far country, from Babylon. And um, Isaiah said, What have they seen in your house? Hezekiah answered, They have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. And then then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. And here you can see a prophet. He's speaking for God. Okay. Hear the word of the Lord of the hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house, Hezekiah, and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. 
Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace and the king of Babylon. You wonder, well, how's Hezekiah going to react to that? Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. Because Hezekiah thought, There will be peace and security in my days. He just worried about himself. <laughs> Yeah. Right. <laughs> what are my kids bearing? Right? I'll be dead. It's not my problem. Yeah, yeah. So, so is that? Um, how do you think the father is listening to the son here? How do you think he's hearing the word of God? Is he hearing? You know, Isaiah you know? wouldn't even have to be a prophet to see that coming. <laughs> So anyway, there you go for Hezekiah. I mean, for Isaiah. Really cringe. Just something. Yeah, so... But Hezekiah is the king that God moved back the son, right? Yeah, Hezekiah yeah. does really, really good. But again, we're going to see some things He's about leaders here. Yeah, yeah. So that was a major... What is your... I'm not being critical, just yeah, curious. So. What's your point of... Of, of reading that Hezekiah... Uh-huh. The role of Hezekiah as a prophet. Not Hezekiah. What I'm trying I mean, to. I meant Isaiah. Yeah, it's all really going back to what um, what John said, which is when we ask ourselves who is Isaiah, we find out we don't know that much about who Isaiah really and is. What does this tell us? What Isaiah, what we find out, is exactly what John said. Is Isaiah, his who he is, is not focused on him. It's focused on him speaking the word of God. Yeah. So his focus is not to call attention to himself. His focus is always. I'm here as a prophet to not, don't look at me, what I'm saying, but to speak what God tells me to speak. That's my role. But, okay. okay. Yeah. Good. But what, we, what you just read is, is, tells us quite a bit about Isaiah, which yeah. I didn't know. He's in, the, he's in the king's presence. He's in the palace. He, he sure is there. there. He, he sure is. out there. Right. He has a lot of status. They want to yeah. be there. He's got yeah. some status. And, Which, and he walks up to the king and he asks him two questions. <laughs> yeah. It's like, where's your respect, you know? <laughs> I mean, he's bold. Yeah. Very bold. But it's interesting. That Hezekiah just plays right into him. Sort of like, you know, has not bashful at all. Yeah, I told my enemy everything. I showed them everything I had. like Kissinger talking to Nixon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He so. was trying to buy their, their friendship, right? Yeah. And for... Didn't work out. Well, yeah, yeah, and we'll we'll be it'll be fun. We'll get to that point at some point. Um, all right. So we see that it says that he was concerning which saw concerning the Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, the kings of Judah. So right there, you sort of get the the range of time. Roughly, these kings are around 750 BC to 680 BC, roughly. Okay, we don't really know exact dates, but somewhere around that time. Okay. Um, so Isaiah lived through the reign of four. Yeah, of those four. Right. Correct. Yeah. Four and a half. The guy who settled Yeah. <laughs> Manasseh or whatever. All right. Last week we talked about verse the beginning of verse two. What did we say about why is it here, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Um. Anybody remember what we talked about with that last week? Why does he start that way? Why is Isaiah starting out with this, Hear, O heavens, give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. 
Why does he start that out before he actually says what God says? You remember that from last week? It's like Genesis. It's what? Like Genesis. Yeah, yeah. What's what's God calling? He's sort of calling during those days, you know, you call witnesses. If you're gonna say something, you can call the witnesses who hear what you're gonna say that's truth. Who's God's witnesses? His creation. All of heaven and earth. All right. And then what also did we say about when it says for the Lord has spoken? What did we say last week? When we see that word Lord, what Yahweh. does that mean? Yahweh. 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 Yeah. Yahweh. Okay. Yeah. So when you see the word Lord again, always think Yahweh. Okay, that is that is always every time you see small caps, always, always. <laughs> if there's anything you'd be certain of. That's one thing you can be certain of is when you see that, you know the Hebrew behind it is always Yohei Vahe, Yahweh. All right. so, and so you, know, you see a reference in the Bible back to Deuteronomy. Yes. So that's like one of those arcs. It is. Back, right? That's exactly so right. From, yeah. yeah. Right and that diagram up there, by the way, I mean, that's just us making, you know, people who seen the connections. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah, you know. Totally full. Yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. Okay, and there's constant connections you'll see as you guys, as you read all this stuff, we look at this, we think just like right now, heavens and earth. Where have we heard that before? Yeah. Genesis 1. Right. Okay. And so you're going to just see, that's one of the things you want to do as you're reading through here is just go, whoo, where are these connections that we're seeing? Were yeah. hardcore Jews at the time never used the word Yahweh or write it? Did they skirt around that? They did. So They never could say the word. It was correct. Like, so in fact, you will see if you look at Jewish material when they're doing this, they will either either translate it, I think if I remember right, Jeff, tell me if I'm... They'll translate like Adonai. They will, a lot of times you'll see where it would not say a G and just o, like a dash and O-D yeah. because they don't ever want to say that word. So there's nothing in the Bible that told them not to do that. Right. But the Jews started this tradition of never saying it because they because don't don't say the nor, Lord's name in vain right. is one of the commandments, right? So they took that and sort of, this is an example, sort of creating a law on top of it. That said, well, the way we're going to make sure we never say the Lord's in, in vain is we're yeah. never going to <laughs> say the Lord's name. Yeah, which, you know, which is to me that story, you know, of tell Pharaoh it, it's Yahweh that's doing these things. Yes, like and and also so you know, I am that sort of personal God. I have a name. I'm willing to to be addressed accordingly. Right. That's fantastic. Yeah. So when they, when the Jews and when we hear that and see that, see, (laughs) hear Yahweh, we should automatically go to where? Deuteronomy. No. Genesis. No. Exodus. Leviticus. Exodus. Exodus. <laughs> Exodus. Anybody know where in Exodus? How do you know that? <laughs> All right, let's turn, let's turn to Exodus so you can see the connection because, again, you're, we're making all these. So we're, we're in Exodus. Anybody know? The bush. 
The bush. The bush, yeah. The bush. <laughs> Not that Republican bush. All right. Why don't you guys in your Bibles? Okay, and we'll end with this um, because we're going to pick up a, some more of this next week. Um, so Exodus 3. Exodus 3. I am that I am. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And what's good is because as we're going to read on past this point, one of the things you're going to see a lot in Isaiah is a lot of these connections back to the primary story that drives everything that the Jews do. Everything that Israel does is driven by a story. What story is that? Exodus. Exactly. Okay. I was thinking that. (laughs) All right. So so look at yeah sure. Look at Exodus three. Yes. The burning bush. And this is how we get that word, Lord Yahweh. All right, so Exodus 3, verse 13. Um, there we go. Okay. So everyone there, Exodus 3, 13? Yeah. It's a good, good one to start out with. So then Moses, in fact, Jeff already gave us the introduction. We're in the burning bush. <laughs> okay. Burning bush, burning bush story is, is um, the burning bush is, is happening. Then Moses said to God... Now, I want you to notice it says God there. When you see the word God in the Old Testament, it is pretty much always what Hebrew word? What is it? Yahweh. Nope. No, no. That's when you see Lord. Elohim. Elohim. Exactly. So whenever you see the word, read the word God in your Old Testament, it is, I think, pretty much always Elohim. What's fascinating is that word Elohim is a plural mm. word. Oh, so when when um, when Elohim. when God gives the Ten Commandments and says, "You shall worship no other gods but Me," it is actually the same word Elohim. Oh, wow. So how are you want to E L O H I M. Is sort of the transliteration. Yeah. So when you're reading this, that's why you're going to see a lot of times, as we read in in Isaiah, you will hear it's will you hear God say, Lord, the Lord my God, or Lord the God. You hear the two put together. So it's sort of like saying, you remember Yahweh is my personal name. It's like saying, Greg, Mm -hmm. I'm a man. Okay, Greg the man. Yeah. All right. A lot of times you'll see God will address himself as I am Yahweh, your Elohim, the Elohim, the yeah. one and only Elohim, because all the other Elohims are not real. Does <laughs> okay. only refer to the Father or to the Triune? <laughs> At this point, they're not thinking that. Yeah, okay. So, yeah. yes. Father. One God. Yes, to yeah, whatever you ask there. <laughs> so, or the spirit, could, whole yeah, spirit. Yeah. Um, well, all right. So anyway, just going through here. Then Moses says to Elohim, If I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? Isn't that fascinating when you think about that Moses is asking God his name. Yeah. Why Very. Who Why I would he do that? 
Why would he do that? He doesn't know. He doesn't know it. Can't see him. Why would the people? Why would he want to say God's name? Why would he want to know some authority? Yeah. And what are you gonna say? He's got to tell him a story. Tell yeah. Tell him a story. But there's a whole lot of other gods, right? So which god? <laughs> Who is this but god? But didn't all the that Jews god? in Egypt at the time believe in a monotheistic god of the Hebrew god? But there's, but the, well, <laughs> but guess where they are? They're in Egypt, so, where you've got all these other gods. Okay. So I think Moses is sort of like, who is this I'm talking to? I'm going to now go to these people, my me little Moses, and I'm going to tell them. Okay. Yeah. So. What shall I say to them? Verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And that is really in Hebrew where we get, where we believe that the Yohe Vahe is put together to create the word Yahweh. Uh All right. Whether they actually said it like Yahweh, we don't really know how they would have pronounced it. But that's where this comes from is I am who I am. And he said to them, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the, what? Yahweh, Yahweh. the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. So notice now God identifies, Yahweh identifies himself as what? From the lineage of Abraham. Yeah, very good. We're going all the way back to Galatians. Remember we learned in Galatians? We're all part of Abraham as our father, all right? Here we're seeing God say, I am the father of these people who the Jews know. These are the people where the Jews came from, right? That's yep. is from Abraham. So he's identifying not just his name, but he's taking it back and saying, I am the one who created this. All right. Yeah. See that? I will be what I will be. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be what, yeah. Very good. Um, Say this to the people, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Just fascinating when you think of that. Again, all generations will remember my name. Yeah. Okay. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey, and they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to them, Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us, and now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go. Well, we all know that, don't we? Um, unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I would do. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, 
You shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. All right. So you can see here, this is the sort of the setup where what is God saying he's going to do? Well, I guess the interesting thing is what is... What is God t- telling Moses to say about this God? I'm not sure if I had to ask that question. I think I'm just going to say it. <laughs> okay, we'll close. Notice he's, that he's the, he's the one that he's yeah. But notice that the important thing is not just his name, but that we have met him. They have been in the very presence of this God. So it's not like that Moses just picking this out. But Moses has met God personally, all right, mm-hmm. and knows his name personally, and heard that this is the God that's going to go and rescue his people, and, all right. And they, they're holding, they what? They're holding God's people as like prisoners. Yeah, exactly. Slave. They're in slavery, right. all right. So you just sort of get the, the touch here that you've got a God who's comes and meets with Moses, tells him his name, and says, I am the God who's Abraham, Jacob, and I'm the God that's going to now save these people. All right. Okay. So. All right. Enough for tonight. Yes. Just a quickie out of of chapter 6. Of? Isaiah. Isaiah, uh uh-huh. Verse 8. It's, who shall I send and who will go for us? That's, there you go. There you go. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. The word us. Yeah. Just like you have in Genesis. What does it say? And God, us, God. uses the word us. Yeah. You get sort of the, there you get the Trinity peeking through <laughs> as to what's going on. All right. Why don't you guys, let's close with Isaiah 12. Verse 12? Or? Uh, Isaiah 12, chapter 12. Chapter 12. <clears throat> Do you want me to read the whole thing? Yes. I want to just, I saw just, yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I didn't know it was so short. <laughs> it is pretty short. It's one of those, it's one of those little ones there. Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully. A little spike. So why don't we all read this together? Um, we'll skip verse 3 and um, a 4 there, um, just to sort of do the quote of what the Lord says. All right, so we will read um, the quotes. Does that make sense? And we'll read all the way to the end. So let's do it together. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away, that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song. And he has become my salvation. Turn the page. Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known to you in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion. For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel.
And God's men said, Amen. Very good. All right. Well, next week we won't do any more overview stuff. Just dive right in to the next verse two. Just start going.